0: For, well, not all, but many of the investors, like early well, investors, made a lot of money. So would And you back became this the person? brand
1: name in the yes. space. Like, yes, it's exactly. the Kleenex of co-working. I mean, that's an incredible thing. Yeah, because it's cleaning up your snots.
0: <laughs> this podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougles, that like to debate about investing content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Hello. (laughs) Hello.
1: (laughs) Hello. Hello. Uh, What's up, man? Nothing much. How are you? I am good. What is this that you sent to me? Read that stat. Could that stat be true, dude? The Kevin Durant one? Yeah, what? So Kevin Durant, what's it say? I don't have it in front of me. Makes one percent of all the wealth created by black men since nineteen eighty eight, something like that. That can't be true, because then Mine. LeBron James makes one point five percent. Like, of it, you just add up all the they were born um, in different superstar years, athletes, slowly. and Michael Jordan makes twenty five percent. Like, maybe it can't be true. Could be true. Like uh-huh. if you said Bill
0: Gates. Makes 1% of all the money of white men that were, that were born. Actually, in-
1: maybe. I, I mean, by itself, you ne- I need to hear the supporting, like the lead up to it, kind of. Here's my thought. If I just said, is Kevin Durant in
0: the 1%? Yes. You I probably was- go, yeah. So he's yeah. probably also in the 1% of people born in his year. No, no. Okay. Did I misread it? Is that... It says his annual income
1: represented almost 1% of all the okay, money earned no, by... I, I, mis- I misread it. I thought it said instead of born in 1988, I thought it said since 1988, meaning cumulative wealth oh, of all okay. individuals right. generated over in the last that. 40 years. And I was like, no. And I think I got thrown by the fact that uh, the headline says the most ridiculous stats I've ever come across. It's not one of the most ridiculous stats I've ever come <laughs> across. <laughs> if it's just someone born in a single year. <laughs> and they're, they're not in the 1%. They're in the 0.01%. Like, Kevin Durant's going on a billionaire. So... You're, you're right. Like, it's it's only taking the 300,000 African-Americans born in 1988. So it's like, is he the wealthiest of that group? Probably. And yeah, he's rich. Everyone knew that. Let's move on. <laughs> Come on. That's a dumb stat. No, dude. <laughs> now I have to fight the urge to go back at that idiot on Twitter and be like, this is a stupid comment. Of course, he's uh the wealthiest of that group he's the wealthiest of of all people born in 1988 like why did they say african-americans like well i don't i don't know who was born in 88. he's like 32-ish i mean it's not like zuck or you know what we're gonna do i mean I'll, i'll take my odds that he's like top three wealthiest person in the world born in 1988.
0: oh guess who was born in 1988. who Patrick Collison.
1: Kevin Durant's worth more money than Patrick Collison. Are you kidding me? Um, the co-founder of Stripe? Yeah, what's Stripe's current value? I thought it was only like $8 90 billion billion? No. 90? <laughs> oh, okay. they're,
0: yeah. They're, they're the most valuable, not publicly traded company. Uh, All right, So Patrick Collison, did. number one. That was just that was And the his brother, number up. two. This, uh, according to Mike.com, which has to be <laughs>
1: like the most credible website. So ever. listen. Patrick Collison is the wealthiest Irishman born in 1988. He owns 45% of all the wealth created by Irish people born in Like (laughs) yes. Let's just say he's rich. It's got got wealthiest person born by year of birth. Just one name. Like it just says Collison and
0: doesn't say anybody else. Well, it's just it's the wealthiest person in that year. what it's saying? Oh, yeah. So we're going through the years. And there, I'm like, cool, got it. 10 billion, you know, 2 billion, I got it. <laughs> in 1992, there was a lapse. Francis Bean Cobain, Kurt Cobain's ah, child, that's so great. $0.1 billion, like, which is a lot of, like, I'll take that, but it's just the rest of the, it was 4 billion, 13 billion, $0. 0.1 billion.
1: <laughs> like, what happened Bean, in 92? Man. I just want those royalty checks. <laughs> like,
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna hop right into something hit us up with a listener mail skippy at gmail.com and i'm gonna throw that out there because apparently it's some valuable real estate because we got gold this is absolute gold yeah this I, is amazing i've been checking about it all week uh thank you drew for sending this in i <laughs> i don't know how much time this took you to come up with and then create but it's absolute brilliance so folks are probably familiar with the the meme that goes around where there's in the forefront like in the foreground of the picture there's a woman that's walking away and then behind her is a gentleman that's like looking back with whistle face
1: yeah. and
0: his apparently significant other looks unhappy about this so there's like different captions that have been that have been put under this meme this one's phenomenal so i'll read it out it's out on the twitter we'll also put on the Substack so you can get the visual but here it is so the the woman that's walking away the description of her is Adam Newman pre-revenue, who literally has a Hulu documentary about his catastrophic value destruction. That is the woman. The gentleman, his label is A16Z, and Jason Horowitz, and then the uh, the perturbed uh, female compatriot of his. It says any profitable woman slash person of color founded business. So good. It summarizes, I think, like, I, I couldn't quite articulate it in my head, but, like, why things like this, not just Adam Newman's, but, like, bothered me a bunch. And it's like that. It is It is that. Crushed it. I love this.
1: Yeah, so the All In podcast with our venture capital friends and my favorite person in the world uh, with some sarcasm here, Chamath, did a breakdown of what is Andreessen Horwitz thinking, basically. And the if there was a consensus there, they were like, well, entrepreneurs are big idea people and Adam Newman's failure is more public than most, but a lot of successful entrepreneurs have a fa- failure or two. So the tone of that conversation with people that know Silicon Valley well seemed to be, ah, oh, this is a kind of cool move and and there's support behind it. I'm more with Drew here who created the meme. I, I, it's just like your failure is so spectacular that you have documentaries made. About it. I think there's more than one at this point. There's certainly a lot of like takedown and hit pieces. I think there's a book out there too. I mean, it's a pretty spectacular failure with some irresponsible behavior to go out and raise 350 million bucks like it's nothing is interesting. Anyway, I could rant.
0: I don't want to rant. This is great. It's on the Twitter. We'll put on the Substack. This is phenomenal. I do want can to we, rant about something else. Oh, sorry. Well,
1: uh, before we move on, I mean, can we talk about this idea? Because I find the idea, his new company, Flow, I think it's a really fascinating idea. It certainly has me thinking. And I could see why someone with lots of money would throw money at it. Go for
0: it. If you want to play with real estate, you go for it.
1: It's called Flow. I think the simplest way to describe it for someone who knows nothing about it, but I want, to, I want you to check me if, if you believe this, is it's kind of we work for rentals a lot of emphasis on the branding and the community and the look and feel of things technology heavy Uh, it's mostly an idea i don't think there's even an apartment complex out there yet and then there's also a desire to maybe pass some of the provide some ownership type benefits maybe that's that the renters uh share in the equity growth of a facility a rental facility like this, if it actually becomes more valuable. It's um a fascinating idea because the rental experience in this company, in this country, excuse me, is not a great one. Like who's ever had a rented an apartment or a home and been like, this is the world's best situation. And I'm so happy to do this. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. That does not happen. Most people go, I can't wait till... I don't have to mess with landlords and loud tenants and everything else. Yes. Yeah, so the the
0: problem is obvious. No one doubts the problem. But no one really knows what the solution, like what even his solution really is. I mean, the descriptions to me, I let, let me read you something. Let me read you something. Yeah. This, this is this is what uh, came up in my head as I looked at articles about this. Here's the description. Flow is a not yet launched, vague on details, real estate startup in New York yes that yeah, absolutely that that, yeah. that is that's i think effectively it he might as well have said he's going to connect the world's consciousness through rentals
1: but he he kind of did but hey this is why i don't love the venture capital space because a lot of these companies that get crazy funding are these vague ideas yeah see now you're you're starting it's not his the, fault you're starting the rant you're starting you're starting the rant. I'm trying to get off of it all right, let's move on. Yeah, no, up. no,
0: no, you're no, no, hold on. No, now you can't, <laughs> you can't poke the bear and then, and then play dead. Oh, I can, though. No, I can. I think you're right. If I, if I take, take Drew's meme out of it, right? If you just say, look at the venture capital world, you have a, you have a person who started a company that ended up being worth billions and billions of dollars and made money for their investors yep. to the yep. like from, well, not all, but many of the investors, like early well, investors, made a lot of money.
1: So would And you back became this the brand name in the yes. space. Like yes, it's exactly. the Kleenex of co-working. I mean, that's an incredible thing. Yeah, because it's cleaning up your snots.
0: So if you look at it just that way, would you invest a large amount of money in that person for their next venture? Just taking it at face value? Yeah. Like just because... He got the, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but got WeWork to like 30 billion in value. It ended up being like 5 billion in value. Yeah. He took something from, he and co-founder, let me not just, but he and co-founder, yeah. took yeah. something from $0 to 5 billion, Ignore the rest of the fluctuation, and made money for early investors. So if you take that, cool. He is a big ideas person. He has been able to show that he can inspire a lot of people. He can make people do foolishness. Right, which is what an entrepreneur needs. Like everything is foolish about a new venture, so I sign up for that. And he wants to connect the world's consciousness through who knows what. When you skip some of the details, you skip things like he put his wife in charge of creating their um, S one. Like, like th- these are the kinds of things that you go, did it turn out okay because of the like wild thinking, or in spite of? I don't know. Regardless, A16Z has a pretty solid track record. They're willing to take big bets. They've made money. Let's see where it goes. Okay, now we can move on. Mutual on moving? Yep. Yep. Okay, mutual on moving, people. You heard it here first. I'm going to reach in. Speaking of, I don't want to call it foolishness. I want to call this creative, inventive, and like, just you you keep us guessing, AMC. You keep us guessing. I want to talk about APE. This is, so apes are like the nicknames that have been given to meme stock investors. I don't know if it's specifically AMC meme stock investors or just general meme stock investors. But this week, headline here, AMC released quasi like common stock equivalent preferred shares of their company. And the ticker for this is APE or APE. Now that is companies release Preferred shares, they do they do this sometimes, right? So that by itself isn't anything, but the backstory here, I think, is awesome. And so I'm I'm gonna spit on it a little bit. People may know AMC as a movie theater chain. That may be once upon a time that was true. I, I can I cannot confirm that they run movie theaters because that's the only thing I don't read about them.
1: Let me jump in. I think it's Regal Cinemas who would be who five years ago would have been considered a direct competitor to AMC is thinking about bankruptcy um so the trajectory of a more typical movie theater chain that didn't get involved with wall street bets and meme stocks and buying mining companies probably is thinking about bankruptcy right now amc is not because of all the craziness that you're about to describe yes and amc was on that trajectory if you go back to 2020 they were they were
0: heading toward absolute bankruptcy right and so what they've been trying to figure out as any company that's trying to go bankrupt or about to go bankrupt is trying to figure out is how do we how do we get cash how do we make sure we sol- stay solvent so they did a typical thing right issued a bunch of debt typical if not irresponsible here but they've got like five billion dollars in long-term debt still in their books they did that they did some less typical stuff like uh, buying a mining uh interest in a mining company right highcroft back in the day into gold mining but wh- where this comes from is their share issuance. So, give a couple stats. In June of 2020, so this was uh, when no one knew what the heck was about to go down in the world, but we knew that people were not going to movie theaters. So they're absolute panicky. They had 104 million shares of stock outstanding. Okay. They now have 516. Are you serious? Shares of stock outstanding. Roughly, so it's about 80 percent of all amc shares were issued issued in the last two years okay so i'm, I'm going to continue i'm going to continue so when i when a company is started right i'm, I'm going to act as if they just started they didn't but this, this is the same for them you uh you have to submit your incorporation paperwork it says how many shares you are allowed to issue you can increase it's authorized is what that's called authorized issue you can increase that amount if your shareholders vote on it right and, and whatnot but what they have um, in their whatever charter, whatever uh, incorporation called docs. bylaws, yeah, bylaws. I mean, there you go. I couldn't remember the name. What they have in their bylaws is they're limited to issuing a little over 524 million shares. So so they've effectively, we don't know like how many shares like their employees have and options or whatever that is. So let's just say they're they effectively have capped out in the number of shares yep. that they can issue without um, shareholders voting and saying they can issue more.
1: So, so instead, the... of go, instead of instead of doing the difficult thing and getting approval to issue more, they did. OK, so, well, no, they tried the difficult thing. So they said, we're
0: going to issue more shares. And the apes, their investors rioted right, and said, like, no, zero percent chance. So to what, what you're going off of. So they said, <laughs> they said, OK, we get it. We're not They are going to put it to a vote, I think, in July to yeah. vote for that. And they said, we're not even going to do that because we, we heard you. We heard you, so we would never do that to you. So instead, we're going to do this thing, which our investors probably won't understand, but effectively is the same thing. So so what their bylaws did say is that they could issue up to 50 million preferred shares. So they've issued all the common stock, basically, but they hadn't issued preferred shares. And their bylaws would allow them to issue preferred shares. So they have 50 million preferred shares to play with. I'm going to ignore some of the detail in here, but what they basically pulled off is what I would call some authorization trickery. And they issued the preferred shares, but the trickery is in they had like a a multiplicative effect effectively with them where they made it so that those 50 million preferred shares were economically and voting-wise the equivalent of 1 billion common shares, right? So when you issue preferred shares... You can oftentimes what it is, is you have higher economic rights, higher yeah. voting rights. Right. But instead, they said they made it so that these were worth one. The 50 million preferreds are worth or the equivalent of one billion
1: in common. OK, let me just make sure I follow because I got bored with this story uh, three months ago. So I haven't been reading about it. OK, so they I I pulled up their financials. And so I'm looking for some antacids here because my stomach's really upset looking at this garbage. <laughs> uh, common shares outstanding you go back five ten years you're around 100 million then as you said they went to 500 million then they issued new preferred shares that you said are worth a bit voting rights of a billion outstanding shares economic so it authorizes them okay they have the equivalent
0: of economic and voting equivalent of up to 1 billion they're authorized for 1 billion i haven't finished the story yet they're all oh, okay for go 1 go billion. go
1: okay yeah I'm trying sure to figure out done, total dilution here. Yeah. So th- you're just going to help me with that. Well, here
0: it is. So, so it's authorized up to 1 billion, but of course they would never dilute their shareholders. So instead <laughs> what they did was they said, if you own one share of AMC stock, like ticker AMC stock, yeah. we will give you one APE unit. And so they, they put it out in the market. And so effectively it's a two for one stock split. Like that, that is, that is what the equivalent ends up being. So if they had 516 million shares outstanding of AMC, they then released 516 million ape units and gave those to, um, to their shareholders now. So, so that's that, right. And folks don't, didn't, I don't think fully understood what was happening here. That's that the, uh, the piece that is the real dilution is the fact that they still, if you remember, it was $1 billion authorized. So now they still have the equivalent of what, like 480 million common shares, not, not actual common shares, but the equivalent of that, that they could issue. And according to their statement that they put out around this, it says, AMC preferred equity units provide AMC with a currency that can be used in the future to further strengthen our balance sheet, including by reducing our debt and other liabilities. The AMC preferred Equity units also give AMC the ability to invest in shareholder value, enhancing and transformative m a investment opportunities. So it's basically it's just
1: stock. Yeah, they just described the uh,
0: I mean, I have to give
1: is. yes, they did. They did. <laughs> they did. I, like, I don't know what the right feeling
0: is, but I feel like I have to give some credit to, for creativity around this. This is a company two years ago that for all intents and purposes. Was going into insolvency in irrelevance. And since then, they are now a gold mining operation with eight units yeah. and loads of debt and still probably heading toward insolvency, but, but but yet still. But they've managed to keep themselves still both relevant from a, a news perspective and at least for right now, still solvent.
1: Credit? Um, phew, this is really, really something. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know if I should... Uh be concerned that their management team is going to end up in jail or if I should be impressed with the financial creativity of their management team to generate uh, more cash when all cash is the lifeblood of a business and they'd be bankrupt. Otherwise, like, I, I really don't know what to do on this one. Yeah. I mean, and going to your jail point, if you recall, cause you brought this
0: up when they were issuing shares, whatever that was like 18 months ago, they said, and the sec would require them to do
1: this, but they said, you shouldn't buy any of this because it's worthless. Yeah, it's absolutely garbage, and and our business prospects. All right, so so they're probably not going to jail. But you just look at—I don't want them to go to jail, just to be clear. Like you just look at the fact that you dilute your shares that much, and the price of your stock is still. So let me pull some figures here. March 2020, the stock went to a low of a dollar and ninety-five cents. Um, At that point, it looks like they have, I'm doing this rough uh, based on yearly figures, but it looks like they have somewhere around 200 shares outstanding. They issue 300 million more shares and their current stock price is still nine bucks a share. Like, yeah, that's crazy. The market cap graph on this would be unbelievable. I'll have to pull it up. Wow. Yeah, I mean,
0: if, if you recall, that's back when I was, and I was looking at AMC and Cinemark. And I, when I was looking at AMC's financials and everything in my, you can look at my notes. What I wrote down was I said, the only way that they could remain solvent is if they invest in a gold company, go up to 500 million shares and put out eight units. And I can't see all of those things occurring.
1: And now you're kicking yourself. Let me tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's absolutely wild. I mean, I think it, the thing is that the most likely positive scenario, I'm not saying this is the most likely scenario, but if this ends up positive, I feel like the most likely scenario is they remain a solvent business and are running movie theater chains that are not quite profitable, but at least they're around and investors are hosed. I can't see any situation in which investors that buy and actually hold for a period of time, like actually do do the holding, and not just people that are trading in and out right now. I mean, I, how do you get out of this quagmire?
1: no i can if gold increases in value by like 10 times and you own a gold mining (laughs) company that is true sorry it's possible yes that is that is true that is absolutely true we're we're deep down a rabbit hole and i think i'm not sure if our listeners dig this type of rabbit hole content or not i want to try and put a bow on this so i pulled up the market cap graph for amc and for those who don't know if you take the share price ties times the total number of shares outstanding you get the market cap that's like what the stock market is currently valuing the total value of that business effectively right and so you can go back do goes all the way to like year end 2015 and the market cap for amc was 2.3 billion dollars from that point all the way through 2009 um up to 2020 so i'll give you like August of 2020, the market cap of this company is $0.6 billion. Now, what they've done in the past couple of years with all this shenanigans led to a peak market capitalization of almost $30 billion. That's 10 times what the company was worth in uh, the year-end 2015. And the current market capitalization is almost $5 billion. Again, double what this company was worth in year-end 2015, that's nonsensical, but again, I, I, do we clap our hands? It's just really impressive. I don't know how they pulled it off.
0: I think as a management team, it is it is quite impressive, but that's, that's kind of what I mean, is that if they have a $5 billion market cap with 80% of shares released in the last two years, mm-hmm. you have to be able to keep that inflated, which I think everyone has to say that's an inflate, like it, it's not a fundamentals-based, valuation, future looking or not, by any means. I don't know how you how you keep that up. I mean, it's a we'll see, though. I don't know how they got to where they are right now.
1: So, but yeah, like I mean, it's. Base. I'd say it's highly unlikely because effectively they had retail investors who probably don't fully understand their company write them a five to ten billion dollar check like that's what <laughs> yes, happened that is that and, is what, that is what and they were smart enough to take it but yeah. uh, at some point the true fundamentals of that company actually matter and people are going to start pulling their money when they don't actually make profits we'll see i'll say hats off near-term hats off
0: to the management team long-term yeah. we'll have to see but this is this is super creative all right what's in your fishbowl
1: do you know the the size of australia's economy not off the top of my head it's about the same as brazil's which is roughly 1.6 trillion dollars sounds about right you know know what's the equivalent of that student loan debt in this country student loan debt in this country okay so one let's just frame isn't that crazy just to start isn't that crazy i want to go i want to talk student loan debt this was you know the American politics is so polarized these days that I can't say this was like the most polarizing thing that happened this week, which is kind of sad, but this was incredibly polarizing. There are people that think that Biden's student loan forgiveness plan is a disservice to the American taxpayer payer. I don't know why I can't talk to There are people that think it's the best thing that ever happened and it's going to solve the wealth gap. And there are uh, a thousand of opinions in between those two things there's people that think it's inflationary and there's not i want to start with some high level stats and then i want to try and get to the bottom of this issue not having anything to do with politics but having to do with investing and economics because i think there's so many flavors to this that's really fascinating so first let's just do a few high level stats if you look at inflation adjusted average cost of uh, higher education in America, going back to the early 70s, um, it's about doubled. Basically, you were at around $10,000 for the average cost of um, higher education in 1970. And now you're at about $23,000. So it's drastic. It's not nearly as drastic as the unadjusted for inflation line, which says it went from like $2,000 to $23,000. That I think that's the number you frequently hear when people go, "Oh, look at how fast this is growing." Well, a lot of what's happening there is is inflation. So let's say it's doubled on an inflation adjusted basis in the past 50 years, right? While that's happening, you have governments for, at the state and federal level funding less higher education expenses. So that puts more pressure on these universities to raise prices right and, and you're saying that because the pell grant amount which i assume
0: is what you mean when you say government funding the pell grant amount is not increasing during that same time um, so therefore it's right
1: yeah it's more than that so um when you say government again, funding
0: what do you what do you mean? from the
1: u.s census bureau i'm just looking at a chart here from the New York Times and it has state appropriation and other sources that funded higher education expenses they used to fund about 70 percent of higher education expenses and it's trended down now it's less than 60 percent so you're talking about federal government
0: and state government level like all government exactly that comes in yeah
1: makes sense yep so that's just you know if you're in the state of california the checks flowing to uc berkeley from the state are very likely less than they were forty to fifty years ago. That, well, so sorry, they're probably actually more, but when you adjust for the percentage on a percentage basis, yeah. yeah, yep. So then, what that leads to is cost of education goes up, and more people need student loans to afford it. And the government stepped in. You and I have debated this before a long time ago, and said we want to make student loans easier to. If you need a student loan, we want you to have access to that and what that does in my opinion is that again artificially inflates the cost of education because there becomes this it's not a true marketplace there's this disconnect between the value you actually get and what you pay for it because there's there's a government based source that says whatever the size of that check, we'll write it for you. We'll worry about the economics later. I don't care if you're an English lit major at some barely accredited small school in the northeast and you have no chance of getting a job. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. You have no chance of getting a job that actually allows you to pay back your student loans. Here, have the have the money anyway. This is not who's the comedian that says like, you know, if you think of student loans as a business loan where the student is actually the business you start to go, wait, I'm not a great business to invest in. (laughs) I think it's Neil Brennan, right?
0: (laughs) He goes like, when I was
1: thinking about going to college and I got my loan application, I was really excited. And then I realized they're actually funding me as a business and I'm a terrible investment as a business. So I decided not to go to college. He he effectively, I paraphrase. But that's what happens here, right? It's not a cold-hearted credit analyst that says this person Going to this tiny school, wherever, getting an English lit degree is a great investment. It's the government saying, You want to go to college? College is great. Here, have all the money you need. We'll figure out how to pay for it later. Have I done a decent job setting the stage here? I think so. How we ended so. up. So, so, then, Dougals, where are we today? And what did our president decide to do about it?
0: The end of it, when you say, What did our president decide to do about it? It's really, What was our president pressured? into doing because he himself actually did not want to do what he just did.
1: Okay. But before we even go there, I know me you, you didn't want to go thing. the politics.
0: You didn't want to go the politics route. So sorry no. I, I went there. But
1: no, no, let's do one thing just to set this the to set the table. So in 2020, during the pandemic, President Trump, not President Biden, put a pause on student loan debt repayments and forced interest rates down to zero. This is something I had completely forgotten about because of the rhetoric that goes on to both sides so both presidents from two opposing parties in the recent past have said these you know these student loans that there are the size of australia's economy are bad for us and we're we're trying to ease the burden on that front so trump did that biden continued that and then biden yeah Maybe got pressured. May I mean, wasn't some of this in his campaigning? So it's not that he didn't want to provide relief.
0: He didn't want to do it to the extent that his party wanted to, and so he didn't want to do it to the extent that what that of what happened this week. But he did want to provide some relief. But to go back to your sorry, I took it down a different road. You didn't want to go down the the biggest thing I think that is creating the controversy is that you can have up to twenty thousand dollars that's written off, right for your student loans, if you were a Pell Grant recipient up to 10 grand, if you were not a Pell Grant recipient, I think that's like the part that is that's getting people most in a fluster. Um, Are there other parts of it that you want to highlight, too? Because I think that's the biggest.
1: Oh, no, I think the actual logistics, I don't think are the biggest at all. I think it's the high level conceptual. So um, with with many of many of my jobs, one one of my jobs is a finance director for a nonprofit, right? That nonprofit goes out and, and fundraises, right? And then I'm the gatekeeper to spending a lot of that money. One of the core principles in the bylaws of a nonprofit, and I'm I'm equating this to a government agency, and you'll see why in a second, is you try not to spend that money that came in from a large group of people, kind of like taxpayers, on a specific group of people. You try and spend that money in a way that benefits all, right? so here's my parallel with the government right like if the government collects taxes and the government creates roads i think most people would say roads benefit all it increases economic activity allows increased mobility like there are benefits for pretty much all people in your society the taxpayers from all aspects of society Pay for that. So that's a good investment for a government to make. I think what's riling people up about this, and this is before we even talk about the inflationary effects and everything else, is this ends up being a very narrow group of people that benefit. It's people that went to college, people that had loans that went to college. So immediately you offend two huge parties of people. One, people that didn't go to college that are going, Where's my $10,000? And two people that did go to college and maybe they took out loans just the same. And they worked really hard to pay off those loans a little earlier, or maybe they didn't take off out loans at all. Or maybe they said, you know what? I my dream school is this, but I, I, the only way I could go to that school is if I take out loans, I'm not comfortable taking out loans. So I'm going to this little, you know, I did my first two years of community college, whatever the case may be. Like, I think that's what has people really riled up is it's like you took taxpayer money and you gave it to this very small set of individuals for why it's it's hard to to uh to draw the line of
0: where it's not it isn't politics exactly it's ideology is probably more of what it is it's hard to draw that line I I think I've I just like I don't understand that perspective it's not that i disagree with it even necessarily like i i I just i don't understand it i haven't had a perspective like that before that like doing something to benefit others is unfair to me like i just i haven't i I haven't had it so again i'm not saying people are wrong by people your feelings are valid right not yours i mean ones like feelings are valid there i just i to take it back a little bit i'd also say that one of the the areas that i think is um Is interesting to talk about here is how benefiting a relatively small number of people actually does benefit the whole. It depends on your time horizon. Whether or not this is the right move, exactly, I I do think that those two things can be true. Like, if because the failure of this population might lead to the failure of the whole population, like that can occur. Ignore the student loan piece in general. I'm just saying that 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 can occur. It's just like, it's if you say, and people can also disagree with this, right? You can disagree with corporate bailouts, but like the failure of one business, you can be like, that's the minority yeah. of businesses. The failure of one business could lead to the failure of the entire economy, depending on what that organization is. And so I don't think that, I don't think that looking at it and saying, and that's for di- different purposes, right? In both of those, but I, I think that there's so much nuance that can be viewed in things like this. And the benefit of the whole over the long term can actually be highly beneficial, especially if you take into account. Uh, so, in the year twenty fifty, ish, right? The uh, the population in this country is supposed to have roughly is supposed to have shifted for the minorities in the country will be the majority of the country. Yeah, yep. right. If you look at the percentage of folks that have student loans, they it goes from. Uh, African-Americans right at the top of that yep and so if you look at if you say in a couple decades ish the majority of this country will be African-Americans who as we've talked about on on this podcast before were heavily I'm going to say (laughs) non-benefited but the actual language is worse decades ago right on ability to even get like when the GI Bill came out the ability to get that was not really present uh, for, a, for a number of their folks there because of their ability to participate in the military, because of racism coming out of it, their ability to get housing. So like, if you want to start saying like, what's fair and what's beneficial to our country, you might say, if there's a population that's actually going to be a larger population in the future that has been disadvantaged, which could lead to lots of economic turmoil and political unrest, yeah, maybe, maybe it's worth Investing there to prevent that, I don't know if that's right or wrong, right? but I, I'm just saying that I think that it's such a nuanced conversation that it's hard just to look at it as like I didn't get you got there for unfair.
1: It's incre- uh, incredibly nuanced, and I want to be crystal clear. like I haven't made up my mind here. The, one of the reasons yeah. I wanted to talk to you is because i I don't know. I have the stats in front of me, and then I want to continue to talk about other layers of this onion because it gets way more interesting in my opinion. So in terms of the um, by race carrying uh, the student debt loan. It's 30% black, 24% other 20% white and 14% Hispanic. That's also straight from this New York times article. So uh, one political party criticized this and said, effectively debts are not made to be forgiven. And then the white house from the white house, Twitter account. That's non-racial
0: white house. It just happens to be a house (laughs) that is white continue (laughs) uh
1: whitehouse.gov maybe that's a better way to say it i don't know they went to these specific congress people often who are business owners and took significant loans for ppp and said congressperson a got two hundred thousand dollars in loans forgiven with the ppp program congressperson b i'm leaving names out of it for a reason because i'm really trying not to go got five hundred thousand dollars worth of ppp loans now this is hilarious and wrong and right all at the same time uh, i i think it's hilarious just in general because i feel like we've gone to united kingdom politics where like there's no shame now it's just <laughs> like oh you want to play like that let's yeah. go i i fully agree because like
0: ignore whether you should be comparing the two loans or any of that like if you ignore all that i just kind of went is this really the white house's Twitter account? <laughs> Like that was the, I went and had to be like <laughs> liquidity, right? Who just like oh, changed their, you know, yeah, yeah. their name. No, or
1: real White House. <laughs> so then it's wrong because PPP was a crisis bill that was passed by all of Congress or the large majority of Congress. And those loans were made to be forgiven. So like this had bipartisan support and it was a whole thing specifically for a one in a hundred year pandemic. So it's it's not it's apples and oranges completely, but it's kind of right because if you're out there saying, oh, government handouts are the worst thing in the world and your business took half a million dollars as a government handout during a tough time. Who are you to criticize to be like, oh, how dare someone else actually benefits from that when I'm sitting on I'm a half a million dollars richer than I used to be uh, because the pandemic didn't really affect my business like I thought it might. I mean. So I think it's all those things. I think it's hilarious. It's wrong and it's right all at the same time, and that might be the best way to describe this student loan forgiveness issue. <laughs> yeah, I agree because it
0: it ends up you end up going to not you when I, every time I'm saying you, I mean I, you, know, I know, <laughs> out in the neither. It becomes selective nuance. Yeah, because then you go know, at the conceptual level: should loans be forgiven? Should government loans that are provided to folks be forgiven? Yes, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then if you decide down this path, yeah, but they were, yeah, but they were, yeah, but they were, but you, like with the, with the PPP loans, right? But but when you look at the student loan, like conversation, you you don't want to go down that nuanced route. It's selective nuance. Whether it's right or wrong, it, it probably, there is no, I think I think you did summarize it well, like it's hilarious, it's right and it's wrong. So I don't think it is right or wrong. I mean, it just, in the future, we'll figure out whether or not this was a great investment. We won't know for decades. Yeah probably really right but is it the right or wrong thing to do
1: here, here's what i guess i wish would have one it would have been awesome if there was like a consensus around this because there's just there's not it's an executive order for a reason so that's not as much fun because it's it's great to build consensus that's how we get the majority of co- the country behind issues rather than 50 percent of the country here or there if if i have ten thousand dollars to give away to a select group of citizens. I hear your point that if these citizens are better off the country benefits, but what if I gave it, what if I gave $10,000 in shelter to all the homeless people? Would that have a similar cost? And would there be more economic benefit to that? I mean, what is likely happening here is the people that got 10 to $20,000 do have a college degree and a college degree is a big deal in life. So. Is that like, I think I know your answer for this, but is this the place of most need? If we were just decided we were going to spend this money, are there better ways to spend this money? There probably is, right? There probably are better ways to, to spend it.
0: That doesn't mean that this isn't a good way to spend it. Okay. You know, I mean, just because something is better, it doesn't mean that it's obvious and better either. Like, uh, there might be better ways that aren't as straightforward. Or obvious or easy to implement i don't know yeah but like i before the uh all the outcry i actually like my reaction to this was like oh student loans suck people have less of them that feels less suck like that that was kind of that was and maybe i should have. i should have taken a more nuanced view on it no
1: that, i think that's reasonable i think if you're not like um caught up in people yelling at each, each other on twitter like that's uh you know it's kind of like good for someone else doesn't mean that i should be offended buy it. if someone else is walking down the street and they find a hundred dollar bill i'm happy with cheering them on rather than being like i'm a hundred dollars poorer and i'm upset about it yeah. there there is definitely some of that yeah so we'll see man i think it is a fascinating i'm glad
0: you brought it up because it's a it's a fascinating uh, topic we'll see what happens with it i do think student loans suck and some some folks might use them irresponsibly And so they're getting a benefit for irresponsible spending. And some folks, this is hampering their ability to even think about being productive at work because they can't afford their student loan payments or, you know, and maybe now they're like they're able to like free their mind and they become really successful. And, you know, it's probably a mix of both. Yeah. I have one
1: other question for you. What if I mean, this is clearly saying higher education is important and higher education is too expensive. What if the Biden administration said we will fund the first ten thousand dollars of higher education expenses for the next 20 years or something? Yeah, so it's it could be
0: some version, this isn't exactly what you're saying, but it could be some version of increasing Pell or not even having a beef hell, but say everyone. Yeah, and, I think it should be yeah. everyone. I mean, like it, yeah. That, that's a whole separate conversation. We should have it. I know. Time.
1: And that's probably inflationary. And there are people arguing that this forgiveness is inflationary. But like you could do something where four colleges that don't that raise rates less than 2% per year the the government p- pays the first $10,000 of tuition or something like that's kind of it. it just this feels like it's disconnected. The intent I understand but it, it feels like it's disconnected from like the most effective path to that same intent intent. And I just say, if you think higher education should be covered by the government, let's do that rather than, I don't know, this roundabout wishy-washy stuff. Separate sure. conversation though. That's a whole nother can yeah, of wax right.
0: worms. What's in your fishbowl? All right. I'm going to, I'm going to quick hit here. This, this is go this, Let's go back to China. Let's take it back to China. So this week the Chinese and the US have a preliminary agreement to allow United States auditors to look at the books of the auditors of Chinese companies that are listed in the United States. Historically China has always said no, you can't look at our books. It's sensitive data. A couple years back there was the Holding Foreign Companies Act, right? That was passed that said if if we can't audit the books if you don't do it in the way that we want to, we're going to delist you. So there's a couple hundred like Chinese firms that are in the US that are at risk of delisting over the next couple of years, it's kind of a potentially a big deal. Um, I, I'm gonna give this one quote and then we can we can move on here. But I want to shout this out because as we we talked about China a bunch here. And so I just think like this is this is great, and hopefully this could potentially great. As Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC, says, make no mistake though, the proof will be in the pudding. This agreement will be meaningful only if our accounting board actually can inspect and investigate com- and completely audit firms in China, right? So what he's saying is we've agreed that we can go over to China, Hong Kong, probably actually, because they're all shut down because of COVID, go over to Hong Kong and we can inspect the books. We've agreed on that. But like, I want to see what happens when our people hit the ground, whether or not we're given like blank pages, whether or not people are just looking over our shoulders, whether or not everything's redacted. Yeah, like that's basically yeah. what he's saying. Um, but hopefully this works out. Um, and I think they have like until the end of the year to audit a bunch of these, these books. So they got to like hit
1: the ground running. Um, yeah. but it's interesting. So there's like so much here. One is, um, I this made me just want to get a job with the SEC because I really want to go to Hong Kong. I could use a trip over there. There's a movie I just watched called "It's Already Tomorrow in Hong Kong," which I think was rad because it looks like a beautiful city. I have to get over there. So the second is. Me making fun of myself, which is what value investors should do, because most of the time you're just signing up for pain. Dougal's held Tal Education Group, and those that listen to the show frequently will remember our debates around that. It went from what 95 bucks to like two bucks a share because the Chinese government decided that they weren't going to allow them to have a business anymore, <laughs> which is how much fun investing in this China is. <laughs> well, so me being the value investor that I was. Started picking some up at two bucks a share. Figure, like, what's the what's the risk here? That sucks currently at six bucks a share, Douglas, on news like this. And it, it it's just crazy. Like to see the uncertainty of this geopolitical relationship impact investing so much is kind of fascinating. And yeah. it makes me want to run away from China effectively. <laughs> because like, and that's what I did with Tao. I, I sold a while back. Because I was like, I just can't deal with the politics of it all anymore. It doesn't matter if the company is good. Fascinating stuff. I hope it works out. This goes back when we talk about Alibaba and the investment there, like Charlie Munger's thought of just, yeah, the world's too large just economy. It's mutually beneficial for them to get along. It seems like that might happen, but we know how the story works. There will be five more twists or turns uh, to this one. Very true. You got anything <sighs> else? Well, real quick. So, you know, Mark Zuckerberg went on Joe Rogan's podcast this week. Yeah, I have not listened or read anything about it, but I know that it happened. I don't plan on listening, but I have a headline for you. Mark Zuckerberg tells Joe Rogan that waking up in the morning is like being punched in the stomach several jokes here for me one i now i actually know that he's a shareholder of meta and so <laughs> that's how i feel uh second joke is he goes off it, i read this article like he he thinks it's really important to get some exercise each day so he tries to surf at his compound and he but a lot of this interview was like complaining about how tough it is to be a ceo does he expect people to be sympathetic of this he's a ceo at like 24 he's one of the richest people in the world his compound is in hawaii and he's like oh man when i check my email in the morning it's really rough he could not be the ceo of meta platforms tomorrow if he doesn't want to be punched in the gut every day i don't know i mean maybe the tone of this interview doesn't come across in the article but i was just like If this is your PR tour, dude, it it didn't it didn't work out
0: well for you. I don't I don't think Zuckerberg is like a relatable person that like resonates with broad audiences. So he he might have thought he was that like all of his uh, listeners of the podcast who are also worth fifty billion dollars would (laughs) have felt bad for him.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, mini out there. Sorry, but oh, he also says he he compares Twitter to Instagram, and he's like, Twitter has the the best debates, the smartest people, the amount of information is just glorious. I love it so much. But but when you open Instagram, it's like this super positive space, and you just walk away feeling great. And Instagram. I end up getting upset, or sorry, Twitter. I end up getting upset because there's all this negative debate and commentary. And I'm like, whoa, dude, if you're just going to paint over Instagram as a a savior to the world where that's a super positive place, I think you might really have lost it. Has he read any articles about Instagram? He's been in front of (laughs) Congress like, a thousand times read the talking articles? about destroying the health of teenage girls but that apparently it hasn't registered it's a super positive place <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to the show guys hit us up on commentary like this I know we we dug deep in a couple of issues um, let us know what you think at skippy doogle or skippy at at gmail.com Substack is a great resource for all the articles we talk about and uh, we love reviews um, so hit us up with that if you get a chance thanks guys thank you